Welcome along to the Wise Men Say preview podcast as we look forward to Sunderland versus Doncaster Rovers at the Stadium of Light. 5.15 kickoff on Friday. My name's Frankie Francis. I'm joined in the studio by Craig Clark. Hello. Good evening. How are you? I'm all right, you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Looking forward to the game on Friday. I'm saying looking forward. I'm getting increasingly more stressed over it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, after Saturday, it's hard not to be... Anxious. Yeah, you kind of... You want it to get over the past... Like, the the last two games, really. So it wasn't... Coventry was a nightmare, but Burton wasn't great. So you kind of need another fixture to get it out of your system. Yeah. But at the same time, you think, well, if we're going to it with the same mentality or system or whatever, it, well, you dread the thing, don't you? I know. Uh, it is uh, crunch time in the AFL League One. We'll be speaking about the league in general. We'll have a brief look back at the Coventry game between me, myself and Craig now. Um, and then we'll also look at the team, Sunderland team, likely to play on Friday afternoon. It's a weird one, Friday afternoon. I don't think we've ever played on a good Friday, have we? Well, Rob Mason, the club historian, will probably correct me right now as he's listening to this. But I presume we did last season in the Championship. Did Championship teams not play on, on I don't good remember. Friday? Last isn't... season, I just switched off after Christmas. I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, it's all a blur, isn't it? Anyway, it's 5.15 kick-off. It's part of uh, Sky's full day of... EFL League One listings, I believe. Yeah, so we're, I think Gareth mentioned... Second last, I think. I think there's a game on Is after Is another one after I think us. so, yeah. Ah, so maybe the championships not on. Maybe they've mm. switched the format. Anyway, beside the point, I suppose... Yeah. It, who's the one? Oh, this is this is this is great prep. It's like me and Matthew's pre Wembley podcast where <laughs> we knew nothing about the checker trade run. Um, I suppose playing at five fifteen, you are going to see other results coming in. Well, that's it. And all, would you say psychologically the pressure's on you then, or would you prefer to know what the job was in hand? It depends how the results go, doesn't it? Mm. Um, well, it's certainly, it's, it's, there's a carrot dangled if the results go our way, isn't it? And. To be honest, I suppose we've just got to look at it and think we've got to win anyway. Yeah. We have to win the game. Yeah. I would have took four points from Burton and Coventry. Mm. And I said, after the Burton game, I'd written a bit in the echo that, you you know, that's exactly what we were all saying and, and four points would have been a great return. But when we drew with Burton, mm. Coventry was the harder game because their away form's immaculate at the moment. Mm. And, all right, even their manager probably wouldn't have thought that was the immaculate performance because they conceded four goals. Yeah. But the one. Yeah. And they won at a team who was pushing for promotion and scored five times yeah. at the Stadium of Light, the first team to do that since the 80s. Yeah. Well, Stadium of Light or Roger yeah. Park. So, you know, Mark Robbins is the happier of the two managers and they've basically got nothing to play for yeah. because, ironically, the team that we play on Friday, they're not going to catch them, are they? It's too much of a gap. Yeah, uh, let's look look at the at the league. Uh, Coventry is sitting in eighth at the moment above them. Peterborough, who we play on Monday, and above them in six is Doncaster, as you just mentioned there. They've won f- uh, four of the last five as well. So, not the, bad form. The last time the, the lost, just looking, was Luton away 4-0. Mm. So, I suppose you'd have to say Luton are comparable to us in terms of the teams that they've played since. So, they've beaten Plymouth... They've won one away game in eight, I think, and that was at Bradford, who were absolutely appalling, and they yeah. only won 1-0. Yeah, Bradford looked like they're not relegated, but they've lost last, you know, haven't won in the last five. Walsall also haven't won in the last five, but um, Bradford's sitting at the bottom of the table on 36 points. Well, speaking of which, Walsall are one of the teams Doncaster have beaten in that run, mm. as well as Bristol Rovers. So they've not beaten anyone, really, for a, for a while. The last... So they've drawn with Barnsley at home and drawn with Charlton at home, but they yeah. do have much better home form than away form. So it is a game, actually. You look at it, and yeah, they're sixth, but they're sixth miles away from the chase. They're miles away from the top five. Yeah. 
they're a team we should be beating at home. Mm. And we've beaten them away. Yeah. Um, they were, I thought they were decent without being brilliant. I went mm. down there for that one and they had a couple of really good chances which were gifted to them by our centre-backs, which is pertinent given the performances on Monday, uh, yeah. on Saturday, sorry. Um, and I suppose that's that's one thing to think about, isn't it, from the Coventry game, is personnel changes. Yeah, for uh, for, for, for us. Um, it, obviously, uh, there's going to be... you. There's got to be some change in defence. Now, I'm not suggesting that's going to be uh, someone coming out for someone coming in, but maybe it's just an addition added to the squad. Uh, starting 11, there's been suggestions that you maybe you bring in maybe Jimmy Dunn. Uh, or, or you've got to bring... If anyone's going to come in, it's Jimmy Dunn. It will be done. I'd, but I'd, do you, does he does he come in for a player? How can you drop one without the other? Because arguably they were both as bad as each other. Well, you could. You could put Flanagan at right back. And I thought Phil Smith spoke really well and really interestingly on Monday's podcast about Flanagan not being a natural centre-back. Now, mm. I'd always had him down as someone who looks like someone who's filled in at full-back because of his build, mm-hmm. the way he plays football. He doesn't look like a natural full-back. Mm. So it's interesting hearing Phil talk in that way about him yeah. I know nine's really struggling and teams are targeting him and I think that'll continue that's definitely happening isn't it it's, it's, been, it's, it's happened for weeks yeah. Yeah. he's coped admirably but two things conspired against him I think he's not a natural right back obviously mm-hmm. uh, so the targeting is intensified against better teams mm-hmm. and then the other thing is the system so Honeyman was in front of him and Honeyman especially in the second half on Saturday was coming inside as a kind of a 10. Mm. And that side of the pitch was just wide open. Mm. Um, so you could you could actually play both of them. Mm-hmm. You take Flanagan a little bit out of the firing line and put him at right back because you, you're not as much of a fulcrum in that position. Mm-hmm. And then you could bring Dunn in. And I think him and Baldwin, a few people have commented on Twitter, and they're right that they actually had a decent-looking partnership. They kept that clean sheet of Barnsley in difficult conditions. Yeah. Then it allows you to go back in midfield to that system that Ross had liked. And, you know, there'd been calls to go for a more progressive attacking system, and that's understandable. Mm-hmm. People want to see the team, in inverted commas, go for it. Mm-hmm. But I think you can see why he's played the way he's played. It isn't just about, you know, yeah, we've got some really good players for the level, but I, unfortunately, I think defence is our most League One area of the pitch and it's well, well, it, protecting it, 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 it proved on on um on saturday wasn't it saturday yeah against uh, against coventry when you know you score four goals at home you'd expect to win but because of the frailties at the back we you know we end up con- conceding conceding five and doncaster have a couple of players in particular john marquise who we were rumored to be in for in, mm. in january he's currently on 22 goals it's also malik wilkes who's got 16 goals so, That's a lot of goals between the two of them, mate, yeah. isn't it? 38. Yeah. So the 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 defence has to be addressed. Now, you're Jack Ross, all right? Imagine this for a moment. I already feel more handsome. What, what do you, what, first of all, how, how do, he came out after the game, didn't he? He said, you're going to direct any anger towards uh, at that performance. You directed towards me. And he he um, protected yeah. these players. But what's, what's he saying to them in private, do you think? That's a good question. I, I don't know what kind of manager... He is in mm. that regard. I don't know about you. He doesn't look like someone who loses his rag. But at the same time, I don't think he'd be someone who suffers fools. Mm. Not that I'm suggesting that the two lads in, or three lads mm. in question are fools. Actually, I don't think you should leave Oviedo out of it. 
defensively he was absolutely terrible as well to be honest well isn't that an argument though for maybe Oviedo and or nine if he keeps them in the side and he doesn't do what you suggested to play it three centre halves and then use Oviedo and or nine as essentially wingers uh, my worry would be that bringing in playing three centre halves when you've got what five games to go mm. do these if there's any reason that he's moved away from like trying to build a system mm-hmm. this progressive sort of passing system it's because you're in league one and league one players which we have a number of can't do it Mm -hmm. you're asking them to learn to play as a three Mm. that's quite a difficult system to learn on a on the drop of a hat Mm. and i I think you'd be wary of that i think the one advantage if you did put flanagan at right back rather than say denver hume would you would you you take all nine completely outside i i don't think you should be playing right back Mm -hmm. and i don't know it depends who's fit. Mm. You could effectively play him behind the striker. Mm. But Ross has had opportunities to do that in the past and he's yeah. turned his nose up at it. I, I just don't think he really rates him as a midfield player. Well, McGeady sounds like he's out, so that does free up that number 10 role. Because Maguire it, isn't going to start. He's not he? going to start, is he? There's no chance he's going to start, but he would come off the bench. Is that an opportunity to start all nine there? Well, you could... With the likes of McGeoch being out as well. I mean, we do are struggling, aren't we? Cat sounds like he's going to start. Him and You'd have him and Ledbetter, and then you could arguably play the three with power just because it gives you such a robust base after mm. what's gone on. That that would totally negate the need for a third centre-back because you've got three effectively like combative midfielders. Yeah. But it would take away something going forward, and we don't really have the wingers at the minute, and no. that's the thing we've had all seasons being the wingers. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, without McGeady, Maguire's not fully fit. Gooch is out. Yeah. Suddenly, you've only got Morgan, and he only came in in January. Yeah. And he does fade by 60 minutes. You see this every week, don't you? He's better, he's better as a sub, isn't he? I he's agree. He's definitely, off the bench. Yeah, a brilliant impact player. Do you think Charlie White's form has given Jack Ross a headache? I do think he's struggling to deal with the fact he's got the most expensive player in League One. Yeah, that's what my Greg. point was going to be. Yeah. And he's not playing badly, Greg. He doesn't look necessarily fully fit, but he's playing well. Mm. And then you've got Wyke, who's making himself very difficult to drop. For yeah. his deficiencies, he's scoring goals. He's he's in the form of goals. his, his uh, spell at Sunderland, isn't he? Definitely, without a doubt. So you can't leave him out. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to make a big call and leave Greg out if you want to change from the two would, or go to you, the three at the back, like you've said. Yeah, arguably as well, would you say that, like Morgan, uh, would Greg... I mean, defences would quake in the boots if surely if they saw Will Greg come off the bench 65 minutes, uh, you know, replacing a strike or maybe coming on, sacrificing the midfielder to go for it. Do you think that that would work, starting Greg from the bench? I don't see why not. Mm-hmm. He gives you something, he, you know. Maybe his energy would be more effective if he's not fully fit. Because we've seen this, where well, we've seen a situation where Griggs has been replaced in around 65, 70 minutes, where then opportunities have been created because exactly. of that he's ran the defence ragged for 60, 60, 70 minutes. And you think, oh, if only he was still on the pitch. I think something happened at the weekend. I thought, yo, if that just fell to yeah. to, to Grigg, he probably would have put that away. So. There's arguments on, on, on either side of this argument, isn't there, to, to get him from the bench. And not to say that he's been dropped for performance reasons, but as a more impactful you know, suggestion, maybe he's, he's, he could be better, more beneficial for someone if he started from the bench. Uh, well, just based on what we've seen in the last two games, you need, if you want to find 
you, the only way you can play the two of them together, in my opinion, is if you do what you've said and go three at the back. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's too much to ask at this stage of the season. We'll see. He might he might go for it, especially because we don't have the the previously it's been a winger issue. There's no way you could go three at bat at the back with all the wingers. We don't have all the wingers anymore. Mm-hmm. You could argue we don't have a right wing back, although you could play Denver Hume as a right wing back potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's. It, the only other thing that would counter playing White up front on his own is he's, when he's played as a lone striker, he doesn't look very good at it. No. And I don't think when you play Honeyman as a 10, I like Honeyman as a footballer, but when he's in the 10 position, I don't think he gets close enough to the striker for someone like White needs someone around him. I think Honeyman finds himself grafting for the ball a lot more than uh, maybe like a natural 10 like McGeady or someone like that, you know, finds himself with the ball, creates some space for himself, opens up for a shot. I feel like um, George Honeyman has to graft to get the ball, you know, passes it, and then that's his... It's almost like a different role within that number 10. I think he he likes him there because he presses. Yeah. And and he's got great energy. And like you say, he can kind of come short and he can go past people with the ball. Mm -hmm. Um. I think Maguire, you know, he's another one who can play in that position where what he'll offer you is he'll come wide. He, f- he seems to find space in a way that Honeyman doesn't. Mm-hmm. But then when Maguire's not playing well... Do you think it, that's a kind of uh, a respect thing from opposition defensive players? If they see the ball at the, at the feet of someone like McGeady or Maguire, they think, oh, you know, there mm-hmm. could be a strike coming on here. Whereas Honeyman, you think, well, he's just going to bumble around the edge of the box but in the <laughs> nicest po- possible way you know uh, and they think well he's we'll get a challenge on him rather than stand off and just you know hold off the shot eventually it could well actually if anything and sometimes it gives him the space to make pass yeah and he is good at rolling his defender so when mm-hmm. they come to him he does maybe surprise defenders because he, he does beat them and he has scored a couple of goals recently yeah, to be fair to help with a deflection of course but well but he's still in the. At least he's in the box. He's in the position. Yeah. Because if I've got a complaint with him, he's, he doesn't do that mm. in that position. I think he, not enough foul players get a shot away. They got a chance. Yeah, they used to, didn't they? Start yeah. of the season would would pepper the goal. Yeah. Um, it was almost like a philosophy of have a shot at a League One keeper. It, you never know what's going to yeah. happen. And then what's happened we, to that? Over you know, have we tried to become too methodical or? You know, and really stick to a philosophy or something. Rather but than... then, but then, ironically, that's been abandoned for the last two, well, four games really, mm. but it noticeably for the last two. So you think it, we've had a weird situation where, on the abandoned reaction part from last week, I was talking about it, <laughs> where we seem to have just come to a conclusion that we've got better players than a lot of teams, mm. and we're just going to bludgeon our way out of the league. And I think he thought, like he being Jack Ross, we could do that against. Burton and Coventry and we might have been able to if we'd played his usual system but because we've not had people like McGeady available you haven't got that 30 yard 25 yard strike in you yeah. anymore mm-hmm. we haven't got that player at the moment no so that might be one of the reasons as well injuries yeah um, just looking back at the league Craig let's go down from from first mm. to sixth the people in the worst form or the team that looks like they're in the worst form is uh is arguably Luton and Barnsley. Uh, Luton have now uh, lost one, drawn two, and uh, won two in the last five. Barnsley, uh, pretty much the same record as well, only in a different order. Then us, uh, having won three, drawn one, of course, lost one last weekend. The team to watch, or the teams to watch, 
Portsmouth have won the last five, and Charlton have won their last four, drawn one as as well. But I can tell you, Charlton have actually they've not lost in eight. They've won six and drawn two. So they are the form team. Twenty points from the last eight games is well, that's that's automatic promotion form. That we we're looking at the top end of the table, especially two positions two and three, which we look like we're going to be leapfrog and Barnsley for the rest of the the remaining uh, weeks of the season. But really, there's a head of steam building behind us, a oh, strong yeah. one, with uh, with Portsmouth on level on points, slightly behind on goal difference, of course. And then Charlton, who you think could be the dark horses for you. Yeah, I think that you look at the running, <laughs> yeah. the, they should win all of those games. Um, what Phil Smith was talking about on Monday, that is, uh, yeah, on Monday, it was what sparked me to have a little look at it because I was like interested in in that and I think I'd echo with what Gareth had said I think it was Gareth that Lee Boyer is probably manager of the year in this division I think maybe him and Phil had said it he yeah Ross did an amazing job pulling our squad together what was left of it in the summer and he has done really well but we've got a very big squad with some Premier League experience Mm -hmm. in it you look at Charlton they couldn't even leave the lights on in the office they were turning them off to save money because the owner has got you know that their situation is where we could have been perhaps if Short had stayed and we still had Bain here. And yet somehow they're fifth and could end up in the automatic promotion spots. They could. It's remarkable, really. They do boast prob- probably the most the, the gift, most gifted player in the league in Lyle Taylor. Certainly his out-and-out striker, I would agree with that. There's no one got the all-round game he's got since Madger went to France. He's currently on 21 goals. Um, and eight assists. Uh, you can see why we wanted him, can't you? Well, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he, he looks like he will be a player and, you know, he possibly could go through the leagues as well with Charlton. You'd think at least it. in the championship he could have a, a... I mean, you look at some of the players we came up against last season in the championship and you think, well, he's got as much as some of them. Mm. I know James Collins at Luton had won the division's player of the season. Whereas I look at someone like him, yeah, he's been very effective... Scored a lot of goals. I don't see him as someone who looks like he's really going to make the step up, though. He, yeah, he looks like he is of the level. Yeah, um, and he's benefited from the way Luton play. Whereas I think Taylor could slot into a lot of teams the way teams play in the modern game at a higher level because mm. he can play on his own. Yeah. He drags defenders around. He's a nuisance. He's a finisher. Yeah, I mean, you you do look back and think if we had him, and you'd had him and Madge vying for a spot at the start of the well, season. Could you imagine, what do you think the situation would be if, it's all hypothetical, and this is what we allow to do, we're allowed to procrastinate on the, these podcasts, but <laughs> if Madger was still at the club, do you think Sunderland would be in third at the stage? I do, and I know Gareth has pointed out to me, I don't know if he's mentioned it on the podcast or not, but he's, he said that we've actually scored more goals since he left than when he was here. I've never fact-checked that, but let's run with it. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not the point. It's more the type of player he was. Mm. I think we might... And the, there's chances being missed that I know for a fact he would have scored Yeah, that might have just pushed us onto another, say, six points mm-hmm. on top of what we've got now. I feel like we would have been closer to Luton. I also think he, he suited the way Ross wanted to play football more than either Greg or White, mm-hmm. both of whom have qualities, but they're not someone who plays the way Madger did. I mean, you can't pine over it, he left. It yeah. is what it is. But Taylor, to me, looks much more that type of player, which it makes sense that we were interested in him in the summer. Whereas, I'll continue to say, Greg, he, he can play up front on his own, and he does play there well. But I don't think he plays in the way that Ross 
wants the team to play. Uh, yeah, and in recent games, he's been p- playing part of it too, Grig. And Grig, when he signed and he did the podcast with Gareth and Stephen for Wiseman, say he said he'd never really played in a in a two, which is interesting because I just assumed he would have because mm. he looks like the type of forward who would. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion on Monday's pod about when did two up top really become a non thing, mm. and uh, I think it, uh, the lads said it was probably around two thousand five, two thousand six when everyone went to one up top. Yeah, and. In Griggs' playing career, that's pretty much all his career. Yeah, where it's just been popular for for one up top. But uh, then again, we're talking about that at the highest level. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I wouldn't say in League One and League Two, that's been the case. Yeah, I mean, for him, it, it must have been. If he says it has, I'm not going to doubt mm-hmm. his, the veracity of his claim. But I think most teams in this division don't play one up front. No, um, you play teams in the Championship who play two up front sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, like you think like teams like Millwall, for example, and they're very much a League One team who've managed to sort of pulverize their way into mid table in the championship. Mm. Um so you know, you look at someone like Charlie White, I don't know what system he played in at Bradford, but to me, never a lone striker. He just doesn't have the mobility. And not in terms of he's immobile physically, he gets around. He doesn't have the the right sort of movement mm. to and I think that he benefits from Greg being on the pitch. But there isn't much chemistry between them. Yeah. Um I'm not sure how everyone else plays in the in the sort of upper echelons. Um and to be fair, Charlton might actually play two up front and just look at Taylor and think he's someone who could play on his own. Mm. When we played Portsmouth in the cup final, Pittman was sort of like a withdrawn striker, but he mm. was very much a forward. Yeah. In a way that I would say Honeyman in that kind of position isn't. Mm. Um I don't know I'm not sure we'll find out on we should probably know more about how Doncaster set up, but looking at the goal record of those two players, you'd think that's a front two, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd think so. And um, they've got Coppinger there who scores goals as well. I know he's like really well thought of at Doncaster, ex Newcastle lad as well, so I'm sure he'll be dying to score. Mm, it's always the case, isn't it? Um, um, yeah, they've also got Herbie Kane, who's on seven goals, uh, Alfie May as well. It turns out that actually Coppinger doesn't score that many goals at all. He's got four. four with lots 20, of assists, though. 13 assists. So he's a, he's one of their main men. That must be the highest That's in the league, surely. Like, that must assists. be up there. Yeah. Um, that is a hell of a lot of assists. When you look at... was It, it was you who was pulled up um, in our group chat about the assists, wasn't it? Yeah. Remarkably... Gooch still top. And he's been out of form for like four months. Yeah. And then it was Matthew's joint with the McGeady, and McGeady's only played half, sort of half, three quarters of the season. And, and Matthews, Matthews yeah, is the other less. one. Yeah. yeah. So you think, that's really odd, isn't it? Ledbetter must be pushing it just from corners. Yeah. Um, but that's not from open play. No. It, no, it's, it's a funny one, like. Yeah, I mean, it, we'll, we'll, looking at the, the um, you know, our top scorers this season, obviously we lost Josh Madge, who left on 15. McGeady's on 12 now. Honeyman's on 7. Katz's got a great return of 6. That's amazing. I know he's a better player than the level. But for him, he hasn't played... Lots and lots of games, Catamol. He's been injured a lot. Uh, Griggs on four now, if you discount his uh, check trade, because check trade trophy goals do not count, apparently. Uh, right. Max Power on three. Charlie White on three as well. Uh, yeah, there's the stats. Uh, Adam Matthews, five oh, assists. assists. It's remarkable, that. He's, like. played, well, he's played a lot more minutes than I thought. Uh, 1,769 minutes. But then you look up that list and you look at the minutes per goal of, like, Grigg and... Um, Wyke mm. compared to Madges, <laughs> and it's like 
It's ridiculous. Yeah. Matches was one, like one every two hours, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, McGeady's good. M- is really good. I hope, I hope, do you think McGeady might be out for the season? Is that what they're saying? Is that what they're talking about? Is it one of them where they're trying to manage expectations because they know if fans find out that he's out, mm. it'll be a massive blow to just... I just think why is the Maguire thing such a big story that he's not, you know, he's he's in the squad. Mm. It's almost like... He's, he's your so, shining light. Well, he's your bad news about McGeady, but mm. he's uh, Maguire back. And he's also on Instagram as well. Yes, and there's some great pictures of him on nights out with his mates. Yeah. So check that out. Check that out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look back at the league. Come on. We've got, um, we've got this Doncaster game on Friday. Uh, so, okay, we win that. Let's be positive, Craig. We're going to we're eight gonna, three, we're, eight we're eight get any three. Who Barnsley got? We should have checked that, shouldn't we? We can really? check that right now while we're, we're uh, on air. This is the great thing about the internet. <laughs> uh, so Barnsley playing uh, on Friday oh, as well. They've got Shrewsbury well, at home. That's got to be three points for them, hasn't it? If mm. they don't get three points from that, they don't deserve to go up yeah. automatically. Uh, but uh, in- inter- interestingly, we've got Peterborough on Monday night. Mm. <sighs> and they've won the last three. <laughs> yeah. Um. Another team in a bit of form. Great, just what you want. Yeah, and they've uh, actually got something to play for as well. They've got Fleetwood on on Friday. Fleetwood season's over. Joey Barton's don't know what's happened to him. He's in some yeah. kind of trouble. Yeah, we saw uh, some strange scenes coming out of the, the last game they played, and they were beaten by Barnsley. Yeah, obviously we've got Fleetwood to play as well. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on at Fleetwood. Um, but P- Peterborough's. I mean, you know, they were when we played them and drew two two against. But they could them still they, they 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 they're going to be chomping to try and get that final playoff place still. And with the game in hand that they've got, it's very achievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll be dying for us to be Doncaster, even though it means we'll go into the game with them with a bit of a platform. Yeah, it that we're we're unfortunate that we've got teams with something to play for at both ends of the table. Apart from Fleetwood, I mean, Southend are dreadful. But they've got something to play for. They're fighting for their lives, so yeah. they should be. Yeah. So we have got a hard running. <laughs> the uh, the other game we should be watching on Monday. Portsmouth have a twelve thirty kickoff against Coventry, and they've got Burton. I think that Portsmouth are in a great run of form, but Burton away is a tricky fixture. Yeah, we saw how well organised they, they were. They were a good side. Um, I think probably rallied a bit too late for the playoffs, but I don't think their league position is. Fair. No, I think, and I think if they're playing saw. with a bit of freedom, which they did against us, I think they just came to have a good, good time almost. Mm. And I think they'll they'll look at that Portsmouth game and think we want to spoil your party. We should be in your position. So I think there's an opportunity for them to lose points. But you're right, that game on the Monday as well. That's going to be, you know, yeah. The, in depending on how things go, because Portsmouth as well. Remember, we don't have an extra game on them. Yeah, and the goal differences, ours is much better. But if they can get on a run where they win a couple, two or three nil, back to back, suddenly that closes, and you are looking at them as a team that, after the faded, could could make a late rally and and get in there. Well, well, say it goes to the playoffs, which unfortunately oh. increasingly looks like is a a big possibility. Craig, who would you want out of the current top? Doncaster. Six. Definitely for, Doncaster. You take Doncaster. Well, you just sense. look at their points total. They're the Unless their run of form is such that they go into it on the back of winning and they've got great momentum. Mm-hmm. Of the teams that we've, I think Charlton looked knackered in the second half when we played them at home at the beginning of the season. But when we played them away, 
they're a different beast mm-hmm. and their form's great. We've seen what Port I thought Portsmouth were absolutely lifting the first half of the checker trade, but then they dominated us for seventy five minutes. Mm-hmm. Now I think psychologically as well. We've got them to play as well, of course. Again, yeah, a final home game on the twenty seventh or twenty eighth, isn't it? And they actually their home form's not that good. Their away form's brilliant. Mm. So <laughs> that's a fixture you've got to look at. I can't help but feel I'm ugh. more anxious before this conversation, Craig. I, I feel like you know we're trying to inform the listeners, but to make me more anxious by by the second. I think we should all be a little bit nervous. And I think, look, you commend Ross for the job he's done in that. But if we don't go up automatically. Or worst case scenario, we don't go up. Mm. Unfortunately for me, the season's a failure. Mm. Not just because we haven't gone up, but because of what I'd said before. I feel like if we'd at least come out of the season thinking, you know what, we've played a certain style and we've built on that as the season's gone on and we've progressed, I think, right, well, we go again next year. But I don't feel like that's what's happened. Do you not take into consideration the number of players on day one of this pre-season, you know, the injuries to key players the first half of the season, the fact we almost you know, arguably forced to sell uh, the best player in the league at that time. All these things go against you. But we started the season really well. And that, to me, would be like, I would have expected a bad start because of the chaos. And then you build. Mm. Whereas we've had patches where we've just wavered. Mm. And the confidence has gone or whatever it is. His confidence in his as the manager's kind of been lost a little bit in the way his team's set up or the way his team's playing. And I just would have thought, because we got the almost a lucky good start, because he managed to get it going really quickly, we were all talking about another gear. We're going to beat someone 5 or 6 nil this season. We've never had that. It hasn't happened. And that's a disappointment to me. Not that we deserve to beat a team 5 or 6 nil, but that we haven't put in enough of those performances in a row to make me think, yeah, we've built something this season. Do you think sometimes though, maybe yourself and other fans are forgetting the fact that we are in League One with a League One defence and defenders who mm. are or the highest of the players is, is League One. We've got some, you've got League One striker up there as well. You're a, a still an unproven Championship striker in in Grig. Does that not? You know, fall uh, for on Jack Ross's side as well for any oh, yeah, criticism. Definitely. You know, although it, forget about the size of the club if you can for a moment. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of League One players there, and so my criticism would be very much qualified in that I think he's the right man for the job, and there's no way we should be getting rid of him. They're not the things that I'm saying. It's more just you just a, put on record now. You you would keep Jack Ross at the end of the season. Yep, definitely. I think it's about time we gave a manager time to actually implement something. Yeah. The only disappointment in being, and you think back to when it sort of started to go wrong for Gus Poyet, was when he started it. He was the last manager, I think, of it. Well, others like Allardyce had a way of playing, but like Poyet tried to instill this way of playing. And then results started turning against him and he sort of threw it out and it all sort of tailed off for him. And with Ross, it's like, I just want to see him stick to what he thinks works because he believes in himself and he believes in his system. And And I just think... He hasn't. He's he's lost. I think he's doubted himself a little bit too much. That's the only negative against him. You can still argue as well. He's learning his True. craft as well. You know, it's his first big club, if you like. You know, um, a real a real opportunity to move through the leagues with with you know a club like like Sunderland. He'll learn a lot from this season as well. Totally agree, and and that's the pleasing thing. We go into next season, whichever division we're in. 
he is a, a season past better yeah. manager. He's he's developed, he's grown with the club. You'll understand the club and the expectations a lot more. If we don't go up, the worry will be that some of the... So when I talk about like trying to bludgeon our way out of the division, I think about the way, for example, Newcastle got out of the championship. Just an easy example because they're our nearest rivals. I don't think they were scintillating. They just had better players. Yeah. And that's kind of what we've ended up leaning on a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. If you've got better players, make use of them. It's just that I thought at the beginning of the season there was going to be a little bit more than that. You're absolutely right, though, to say we do have some very League One players. I think at the beginning of the season, I thought we've got better League One players than the other teams in the division, and maybe in some positions that isn't the case. Mm. Probably most obviously being the back four. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but you would worry that those players that have allowed you to bludgeon your way through certain games won't be here next season. That, mm. That's the point I think I was trying to get at. They've and got a parachute payment to come. Which it's could just help whether, would would McGeady want to stay? He's getting to the end back end of his career. Would, would there be many offers? I think the season he's had, he championship job in the championship. Mm. A lot again will depend on his wages, I suppose. Yeah. Oviedo shouldn't be playing in League One. Sometimes I think he looks like he doesn't want to be playing in League One, and that's a problem. But he could. He nearly moved in January, didn't he? So I'd th- you've got to give him credit for being the professional he is, though. You know, he, oh, yeah. he was in. You know, as soon as he got back from the World Cup, and he, he's never, he never really. Shied away from duty, has he? But nope. yeah, he is probably possibly one of those players who could. Um, Matthews will be on. gone. I think he's out of contract, and you know what? He's an okay player, but his injury records are poor, and mm. they're just going to cut their losses there. I would have thought. And you'd think if the if we did uh, all go up, there would be changes in midfield as well. There's a lot of bodies, but they're all very similar. Yeah, um, and you've still got Robson and Embleton to come back from. And you've got Mumba, Mumba as well, chomping at the bit, trying to get in. Yeah, it's. I wonder whether, you know, if we went up especially, I mean, I, you know, I really like Max Power. Mm-hmm. I think McGeek's had some really good games for Sunderland. Certainly, recently he's played two or three really good ones back-to-back, but his problem is similar to Catamol's. Mm-hmm. He's injured all the time, Matthews yeah. as well. That You can't rely on McGeek for more than... This is just not Sunderland time at Sunderland. I'm looking at his whole career. Yeah. He's only broken the 30-game the bracket like a couple of times. Mm. And you think... Are you going to be relying on players like that going into the championship? Maybe as backups, mm. but I wouldn't. I'd like to see someone a bit more athletic. Even if we're in League One, who can actually carry the ball forward, so you don't always have to spray it. Yeah, you can move through the. Honeyman does a decent job of it, but he gets played as a ten. Mm. I, I think we'd need to we need to improve in that area, and we'd probably be looking to bring another winger in because. Gooch at the start of the season made himself undroppable and made yourself think he's at least a mid-table championship player. Mm. But the drop-off in form, you've got to wonder. It's hard to tell what his level is actually. Well, we'll see. We're gonna we'll we'll turn the uh, conversation slightly away from the pitch and into the stands. What did you make of the flags at the weekend in the Roker end? Did you do you think it was a good sight? Do you think that's a good thing to, for the for the stadium <coughs> to have this kind of? I guess this this, this the, the, the the trying to. Make the Roker end, you know, be proud of it, you know, and get people singing in there, get some kind of atmosphere in there pre-game, which continues throughout the game, and then ultimately gets the lads over the line. So the the Red and White Army, the uh, the big supporter group, kind of the trust almost, has um, been out, got these flags made. Visually, it looked great, right? I think it, uh, it actually got the crowd going. Yeah. It did work. The atmosphere at the start of the game was the best it's been for 
a while, yeah. let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Visually, from where I sit, it was kind of awkward. The, some, the one thing that maybe didn't work as much as it might have done was there's a lot of red, and it didn't always stand out. Mm. But overall, I think it, its purpose was served, and as it happens every week, hopefully people get to the seats early so that the flags are kind of up and yep. it gets the crowd going. Because that's the other thing, it's relying on people getting to their seats and actually partaking. Yep. And they got the uh, blasting of Elvis again back, which yeah. seems to be universally Everyone accepted. wanted it. Yeah. And it was it was the right thing to do. And Yeah, we can see uh, for the game on Friday, there's going to be the Archibald Leak, um, Leach, sorry, the, the original kind of uh, lattice from Roker Park. Uh, that's going to be, like, they've, they've made boards and they're sticking that on the concrete. It's uh, something that's been called for again for a long time, and it's such an easy win. But again, it's making that 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 Roker end a little bit more intimidating for away fans. But you know, something more, a bit more identity within that ground. You know, it's been great concourses and that for you know over twenty years. I think it's the way people have re-engaged with the club since we got relegated, and that party down to the owners. It's party down to the Red and White Army that you know is really engaged with fans as it's supposed to do but it's done so in a way where it's actually worked it it isn't just another you know you can get a lot of these types of groups develop and you think oh is it just going to be another thing where people are sort of pontificating but it hasn't been it's a real group of action yeah and that's proven i mean to have all of those flags out and ready on on the weekend was i mean the amount of work that's gone into that and the effort i can only commend people for that like i think it's fantastic work you you know People need to realise the amount of time that takes. It yeah. doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one final thing. It's been a big talking point on social media between Southern fans. Is, uh, there's two more things, but there's naming the stadium. Are you okay with that, naming rights? I'd Sam. always been happy enough for them to sell it. Yeah. Uh, I don't, what, are you, what do you think, Elvin Rest? I think if, if it was the, the appro- an appropriate brand yeah, we don't want it at the, the Stadium of Light. Yeah, like, something I don't like know, the, the Durex. Yeah, I said Tampax last week. <laughs> yeah, I did as well, but I thought... Yeah, something like, you know, anything like that. You yeah, know. No, nothing like that. I mean, I would never sell out to a brand, as you know, Craig. Well, exactly. I've never heard any of your songs on the television <laughs> when um, being enticed the, the, to be food. The, the, the final hot potato uh, is the drum. Now, no, not for me. Well, there's a conversation online, uh, and uh, the conversation goes something along the lines of, should we bring a drum in to create the atmosphere or enhance the atmosphere at the Stadium of Light? Now, there's, a, there's two ways this conversation goes. There's a, there's a, a very immediate... Um, Response, which is condemning it and said, no, which was me, you. <laughs> and I will continue. Um, but there is other <laughs> fans who would say, let's give it a, a try. Why, why, why? First of all, are you against the idea of using the drum? It's not in my personal taste that type of atmosphere. I've been to away games where people have brought got a drum, and I just it doesn't get people chanting. It's but, just the sound of the drum rhythmically going, and to me. That isn't what Sunderland is about. It's not really what about English football is about. To be honest, I think it's a very continental thing. Yeah, if, you, if you've, I don't, you've probably been to games in Germany and especially exactly. uh, Dortmund, of course, and um, it, you know Dortmund have that yellow wall, which is all flags and it's all all the colour, and they have drums within that. And you're saying you know perhaps leave certain of these elements on the continent. Well, I think we've taken another thing. I mean, obviously the whole flag thing isn't just a European thing. No, I'm, and we are European anyway. But like the cop. Yeah. is a great example of the flags. But I think that's something you can bring, and it it enhances stuff. The drum, so if, to me, this is just my personal opinion. That's but, fine. Uh, uh, exactly. But, you know, I'm not speaking for other people. Yeah. Other people might disagree, but 
to me, a Sunderland atmosphere, but a, a generally a sort of an English atmosphere is very reactive. Absolutely. I and mean, that's what the Roka Row is. It's a natural, spontaneous Which thing. comes from a crunching challenge from a midfielder, you know, you know, Sunderland... Because we've been starved of success, we get a, we get thrown <laughs> in yeah, halfway down into the, the opposition's half, and you, you can feel the whole crowd lift. And it has been said over years and years and years, visiting players and fans have been taken back by that rock and roll, and they almost look around and think, "Why have they been so? What, where was that from?" Exactly. Yeah, like it's which is guttural. Rock and roll, exactly. Like. Yeah, well, it's, it is raw. Yeah, it is guttural. Mm-hmm. It's now the problem is if you want a continuous atmosphere through a game, that isn't going to happen. But I think. It's never happened. That isn't a thing in English football. I think people have probably generated this idea of terraces in the in the seventies like, of just this constant wall of noise. And it's like I doubt that it was really like that. Yeah. It'll have been louder yeah. when it was loud. But you know, people didn't have songbooks and that. It would have just been chants, like mm. spontaneous stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Like and in Germany or France or wherever, if you go to a game there. They have a different type of atmosphere, and it works in yeah. that context for me. When, but it just, I personally, and you know, other people are free to disagree, and I can see the points that they're trying to make. Yeah, but that kind of, it's it almost feels fabricated. Yeah, and that just doesn't it just doesn't work in in an English context. And I've been to places like I don't know, I think Bolton might have done it, mm. and you got like this kind of drum banging along and. The game, it doesn't fit with what's going on on the pitch, yeah. and no one's responding to it. Mm. It just sounds a bit ugh, to me. It doesn't yeah. work. And I know people have cited the Rangers Celtic examples. I don't think it sounds great there either. Yeah. And I can see why they've done it, though, because those grounds aren't really full for league games anymore. Yeah. Um, For whatever reason. But it just doesn't sound like, you know, if you hear Celtic or Rangers in a Champions League game, and it's the same with Liverpool. You hear them in a big European game. That crowd, or Liverpool on the weekend mm-hmm. when they when they took the lead, and the noise. Yeah, you don't generate that with a drum. Yeah, that happens because of context. Yeah, it's a big game, knife edge. You're in the title race. You know, Sunderland fans, and it isn't being arrogant and big headed. It's just the size of the club aren't going to get that excited when they're beating. Who you know? Insert NAF team here. Yeah, at home. Shrewsbury, yeah. Tuesday night, whatever. It just isn't going to happen. And it's the same when you go to, like, people go, oh, the Anfield atmosphere is crap. And it often is, but because Liverpool fans aren't going to get really excited when they go 2-0 up against Sunderland mm. because they expect to win the game. Mm. It's just, in my opinion, no, that, a good that's take. the way the it's culture, a, a good culture is. And hopefully the conversation will well, what continue. What do you think about the drums? What's your opinion? Um, I, I, I do, I, I think we should be making... We should be proud of the rock of all, the spontaneity mm-hmm. of it, the you know how organic it is. And you know, I've had conversations with with Kevin Ball because mm-hmm. of our connections with the club, and he said the, the if the crowd were a little bit sluggish on a Tuesday evening, you know, at a home fixture, he would have a conversation with someone like Lee Howie or or, or Gary Bennett and say, listen go through one of their players and get the crowd up for it. And that's when the Rock of War would start. And then, you know, the, once the crowd's up and jumping around with that, you could find a bit of momentum in. You know, and you, you see this season, you know, I think back to the Accrington game, you know, when Chris Maguire came on and changed yes, the game. Absolutely. And, and the, the atmosphere towards the end, you know, we think it's only a matter of time before we get the winner. We didn't. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, Look, let's put it this way. If, if, say we had a drum last season, yeah, it, 
20,000 people in the ground, miserable because we lose every game. It ain't going to make a difference, is it? No. It has to be a bit of give and take. You're right. So it's interesting, Borley saying that, right? Because Catamull's probably the current Borley or the closest thing you've got to one. And he'll know that. He knows how to, you know, but he doesn't play all the time. Mm. And it's just kind of, it happened actually 09, weirdly. Went yeah. through sort of a player, yeah. uh, a Coventry winger, yeah. and the crowd was that was it. Yeah, everyone was up chanting, singing, and stuff. You, you see, you know, bang on. Yeah. So they, but a lot of these players are new, and they're the, the learning the culture of the club. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it'll, 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 you know, it'll be discussed <clears> until <throat> it's either thrown out or introduced. You know, I've got a feeling the current owners would probably try it. They'd be open to <coughs> experimentation. Yeah. And I think that's you know it's welcome, but. I think there would be a lot of people who wouldn't. There'd be a, it's it's mixed, but I, my feeling is mm. if you come out of the online bubble, mm. there'd be a lot of people who wouldn't who wouldn't buy it, wouldn't yeah. be into it. Well, like we'll the see. older school, the kind of you yeah. know what I mean. We'll we'll see, we'll see. Uh, right, uh, all that's left for us to do is have a prediction for Friday. Uh, <laughs> one one for me. Really? Did I think Chris Chris Weatherspoon had F, I don't know where he got this from. Mm. Um. If you'd put a tenner on Sunderland to draw 1-1 one, one, every single game this season, you'd be 500-odd quid up. Right. That's how often we've, you could have one, one, lost one. that many times yeah. and still be up. Wow. So I just, I've just i got a, a feeling start. we're going to draw the draw the game. Right, okay. And and with that, would you concede that we're not getting automatic promotion? I don't think it rules you out. Okay. You're still in. You're still in with a shout. We're still going to have an extra game on Barnsley. We don't know what the other results are going to be. There are twists and turns yet because... The one thing we've got is that experience in the squad that, like, I know Mickey's talked about it, and mm. um, Barnsley don't. So that can work two ways. Mm-hmm. You're either fearless yeah. or you lose a game and suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute. And when we were looking at the form table there, their form's way over eight games, I think it is, or yeah. ten games is down in 11th. Yeah. Portsmouth, on the other hand, because they've played the same number of games, they win. you just got to beat, what's in, ahead of you, aren't you they, beat you know? what's in front of you, and then we'll you know, come to that Portsmouth game. It's going to be it's, it's going a be crunch it's, time. It's a huge game. But what, what's your prediction? Then? I think Craig, we will win one nil. Charlie White, love it. I like I'll the confidence, it. and I hope you're right. And not yes. Me. Uh, if we play four four two, I'm going to say we're going to lose three one. Oh well, we'll so, find out at five fifteen on on Friday. <laughs> uh, there will be a reaction pod uh, post game on Friday. TFI Friday too. Yes, with it's Bill back. Yeah. Um, no TP though. No TP this time. Disappointing. Uh, I will be in the fan zone pregame from two p.m want to come down to that uh of course we will be playing a game on monday night so there probably won't be a stephen and gareth normal podcast there could be a reaction podcast. well wait it's monday at three o'clock so are they planning to do hey, one i don't well, know well, none of us know well yeah, we'll find out we'll find out very soon <laughs> this is or maybe they'll do one in between just one next week like on between. a tuesday or something yeah I don't know. It's going to be complicated. There's a lot of twists and turns, as you say, Craig, before the end of the season. We'll leave things there. Uh, Enjoy the game on Friday. (laughs)